Well, I remember the day as clear as if it were yesterday. July 8th, 2005. It was a Friday, Friday evening in particular. I was at a wedding rehearsal preparing to sing a solo that I was going to sing at the wedding the following day. And that's when the phone call came. It was my brother, Kevin. And I could tell in the sound of his voice that it was big news. And it was that our dad had died. The next couple of weeks uh, were a blur of family meetings and tears and laughter and emotional upheaval. It was a grief like I had never experienced before and like I've never experienced since. The kind of grief that would sneak up on you at different times, like being out at the state fair and being up on Machinery Hill and going, oh, wouldn't it be great to take my oldest son, Jared, put him up on one of the tractors and take a picture because I'd just love to show that to my dad. I think I spent a good 10 minutes on a bench at the fair after that. That's the thing about grief. It hits you when you least expect it. And sometimes it hits you quickly. Sometimes it hits you just for a moment. And sometimes it goes deep and long. Today we're continuing this sermon series that we've been on of when life gives you lemons and we're diving into the source of grief and lament that, as Dan said before, it's universal and it's inescapable for every one of us, but it's also very particular and it's unique to each person. Each person goes through this journey themselves in a different way. talking about the death of a loved one and whether or not you have experienced this kind of grief yet in your life. Someday you will. Because as far as I've seen, the death rate is still hovering around 100%. It's this inescapable reality that makes this story of Lazarus so compelling. It's compelling to me because it's a real story. The characters in this biblical account of death and grief, they're familiar to us because the emotions they express and the behaviors that they go through, it's a transparent picture of grief that any of us can see and relate to. They talk about the five stages of grief, right? There's denial, there's anger, and bargaining, then despair, and then acceptance. I never think of it as the stages of grief. Instead, I think of it as the facets of grief. Like the facets on a die. You know, you throw it each day and you wonder which one is going to turn up that day. Maybe today you'll feel acceptance, but tomorrow you might be right back to anger again. And it's a journey that we go through. And we see those realities in the lives of these characters in this story. We didn't read the entire story there for you, so I would really encourage you, maybe sometime this afternoon or this week, go back and read the entire chapter 11 of the Gospel of John. See the richness of this story and, and where the characters encounter one another and characters encounter us. There's, there's Martha, 
Martha, who is the message sender, I'm pretty sure she's the one at the beginning of the story who sends message to Jesus who is out of town, busy, away on business, to say, hey, Jesus, the one you love is sick. And that's the same Martha who runs to meet Jesus as he makes his way back. And she's not going there because she's really excited to see Jesus. She's there because she has some pain to express to Jesus. And in Martha's style, she's going to take it head on. And there's Martha's sister Mary, who's withdrawn, stays back home, and only engages Jesus when Martha kind of pushes her by saying, hey, Jesus is here and he's waiting to talk to you. There's, there's Thomas, one of the disciples, who when the announcement comes from Jesus that they're going back to Bethany, a dangerous place for them, a place where, where he might even be killed, Thomas's response is pretty interesting. He says, you know, let's, let's go with Jesus so that we can die with him. Despair. Brokenness. Hurt. There's the friends and family who are hanging around Martha and Mary. They're nameless, but we can put names and faces to them, can't we? The people who gather around to share in their grief and in their mourning and in their pain. So much so that they, they don't want Mary to even be left alone. When she goes up to, to finally see Jesus, they go right with her, concerned about where she might be going. And then there's Jesus himself. Jesus, Son of God. And it says he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled to the point that we hear that simplest of verses, the verse that gets read at a lot of confirmation ceremonies, Jesus wept. Jesus, he felt the emotions. Jesus himself grieved and felt the pain of the loss. This is a real story with real people experiencing real loss, real grief, real lament. And in just a few minutes, we're, we're going to hear some stories of people in our congregation, people in our community, sharing their personal experiences of grief. And as we prepare for that, I, I just want to offer you some perspective, some perspective from a life of ministry and working with people in grief and having experienced some of it myself. I'm no expert, but I can share with you some of what I see as the insights of this story. And it starts with this. Don't invalidate somebody else's grief. Sometimes out of a place of good intentions, when somebody else is grieving, we, we might say something like, oh, well, it, they lived a full life though, yeah? Or, well, I, I, guess, I guess God just needed another angel. Things that I know are coming from a place of concern and care, oftentimes also from a place of wanting to protect ourselves from the pain. 
But don't invalidate somebody else's grief. Allow it. Step into it. Maybe share something as simple as, I'm so sorry, and I know that this is hard. So don't invalidate someone else's grief, but also don't compare your grief with others. Because sometimes in doing that, you deny your own grief. (laughs) You invalidate your own pain. When we hear a story, like some of the stories that we're going to hear shared today, stories that are tragic, devastating, painful, it can be easy for us to say, well, obviously that is so much deeper than what mine could be, so, so I'm not going to talk about my own. The reality of it is this. While grief is unique to each person, the depth of grief is equivalent to the depth of love. So whoever it is that you may have lost, in that place of deep, deep love will come deep grief. And it's okay to feel it. And it's okay to not compare it with anybody else's, but to walk through it yourself with the support of others. And then third, it's okay to be angry with God. You know, when Martha runs out to see Jesus, the first thing she says to Jesus is, Lord, if you had been here my brother wouldn't have died. I think in modern terms, it would simply be Martha going, where were you, Lord? Where were you when I was going through this pain? Where were you when my loved one was dying? There's anger, there's disappointment there. And Jesus doesn't rebuke Martha or her sister Mary. Instead, he just is with them, offers them hope, the hope that only comes through him, and truth, but not in an effort to cover everything over, but just being in the reality of the pain with people. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to feel all of it for yourself and for others. So now, let's listen to some stories of grief and lament from some of our brothers and sisters. So, uh, I lost my daughter, Lydia. It's still hard to say. Lydia's been gone since the middle of August, but she's been gone a lot longer. Our son, Adam, he was 23. Um, He died in 1997, August 4th at 3.15 p.m. I've had two major impacts in my life. Um, One was my father dying on July 26, 1981, so almost 40 years ago. And he was a pretty strong guy in my life. Sorry. (laughs) My other was um, losing my husband, my second husband, on August 31st, 1997. 
What surprised me was New Year's. Huh. I know. And New Year's was... It's not like there's great grand traditions for the family and there's all the things we do and that you're super missing out on her. She wouldn't have been staying up till midnight to watch that with us. None of that. But I couldn't stop crying because we were leaving the last year that I was with her. We had hospice. I mean, we had hospice since December of 2019. And Lydia died in August, which means not right away, but as she kept transitioning, right, we had someone in my house and probably more than one person every single day. And she dies and they're gone. They don't come back again. I guess that's the one thing with grief. You never know. Um, I've always said to people that... Um, well, and again, my counseling background says that, okay, if you ask how I'm doing, I may be doing really fine at the moment, and hey, I've had a, a good day with this or that, and I've had some great accomplishments, and people may say, oh, gee, it's only been a few weeks since her husband died. She must be doing fine. And then I, I say, um, again, you may find me where I'm just a puddle because it's, it's hitting me kind of thing. I just hear people say, it can sneak up on you, it surprises you, it just happens, you know, that there are moments of time that uh, throughout the day that just it kind of overwhelms you and just comes upon you. And I think you kind of hear that and don't know that you really believe that. Um, and sometimes I feel like I need to bring it on. I need to encourage the grief, which has been interesting too. If I haven't had a good cry in a while, um, I feel like then I need to, like, just internally something is not feeling right. That the, the people that were closest to them, their, their best mm -hmm. friends, as it were, were the ones that left first. And the yeah, ones yeah. that they didn't think would stick around became the, their total support, mm -hmm. which was really quite surprising. So I have a lot of people that would call me and say, I don't know what to do. What can I do? And I always tell them, just don't forget. Call yeah. Once a week, just leave a voicemail. Once a month, send a card and just say thinking of you. That's all it takes. Another thing is to ask your friends for things. You know, they say, I'll do anything. What do you need? But you don't ask them. And I've learned, you do ask them. Kind of big learning from the beginning is not wanting to really be a person who's, hey, here's what's going on in our life and trying to, like, we can take care of this. We've got our family. We're going to you know, turn in words and be okay, and learning quickly that that's, you know, not gonna get us through to the end and we can't do this all by ourselves. That, or if someone's just, I'm gonna bring you some tea and we can talk or we can just sit there. Those are the people, that's everything, because there's not an expectation for me. I don't have to pretend like I'm okay. I don't have to get dressed up or whatever. It's just, you know, being with you in whatever your mo moment you're in. I think it's important. I mean, the whole say my daughter's name, talk to me about her, not pretend like, you know, or don't not say it because you think it's going to upset me. 
you feel like you need to sometimes help people along, like help them feel okay because they want to make you feel okay. Yes, I think that's part of it, and and not wanting to say, oh, it's okay, you know, I it's okay that I feel yeah. this way. It's like, I think, being you know, just the response is uh, that's really hard. I'm really sorry that that's, you know, that that's what you're having to experience. One of the things I have found, I'm a huge book reader. If anything, God speaks to me through the books, the good a number of books, and I'm still finding things. And, and I choose to, instead of giving me a sympathy card, I give people a book. We were counseling, um, and the counselor, he said, what are you feeling right now? I said, I'm so mad at God. And I said, I just want to go up there and I want to kick him in the shins and tell him, how dare you? And he said, you know what? Jesus would lift his robe and let you kick him. There's been a lot, a whole new understanding of God as a parent. <laughs> and that God watched his son die. The thing I haven't totally reconciled with is he got his back three days later, so it doesn't seem quite fair. <laughs> but you know, the whole Christianity thing, I guess I gotta let that one go. <laughs> I actually went away on a weekend and I had prepared and was like, I need to, I need to be, just wrestle with God. Like I need to spend time in prayer. I think there certainly are questions of, you know, why me, why am I, um, the one doing this, right? You see that other families and parents and people have to go through this, and there's a lot of people that don't. So um, I think that's sometimes more about it is, why am I doing this and what are you teaching me through this? What am I needing to learn? And um, what's the person that you're wanting me to be in order to get through these different challenges, life challenges. I feel like because of this disease, there's not a whole lot that can face me at this point. I, I, I don't feel like I'm a judgy person like I would have been before. Um, I just, I, there's been such a shift. And there really has been a giving up of myself to trusting what Jesus is going to do without knowing what it is. That's really, really hard. Just when you think you've had enough lemons, there's always more, <laughs> unfortunately, right? I mean, is I do feel like God is calling me maybe to something bigger through all of this, and I don't know what it is. That there are lessons I'm learning and experiences that I've been able to experience that no other people are going to be able to experience. Thankfully for them, right, that they don't have to do that. But for some reason, it's me. And I guess in some ways, I don't want that to go to waste either. How can I help them through that? Or how can my experience or sharing what I've been through help somebody else? And I think that's also what um, keeps me going through this, right? So as much as people at Community of Grace uh, that are doing something for me, 
What I've made of it, and kind of back to, I just find I'm repurposed. Like, you have, Lord, you've drugged me through something where I lose my dad at 29. I lose my husband at 45. This isn't what I signed up for. Um, you're going to have to show me some things. And then as I kind of feel a little melted, it's like, it's like then I see Jesus on the cross, like, oh gosh, <laughs> I could never pay you back for everything that you've done for me. Then let's take some of this, like the lemon. Um, yeah, the old saying of make lemonade, but I've just found God has used me in ways. I know what you were asking, how can something be beautiful out of this, when you said that. And um, it's different beautiful. It's not beautiful. It's not pretty. Um, the beauty is how people came around and we met new people and our faith grew um, and we found joy again, real joy. Um, the beauty was that God used this and led us to a ministry. So what can we do as Jesus people to help those who are grieving? Well, what I hear from people most is that question, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do. So if that's you, first I say to you, realize nothing you can say or do is going to fix this. Grief, as a part of love, is a chronic, lifelong condition. It has no cure but heaven. There will be better days, there will be worse days, but it's always going to be there. Because grief and love are two sides of the same coin. So if you're looking for just the right thing to say or do that's going to end somebody's grief, you have to let that go. What you can do to help is just be with people where they are in grief. It's all about grace. Having grace with yourself, having grace for others, and most of all, trusting that the grace of Jesus will hold us through it all. Because his love chose to meet us even in death. He is the only one who can tell us by his own authority and in his own life experience that because of who he is and what he's done, death will not get to win. Jesus' grace gives hope that this pain is not and will not be the end of the story. That's his work. But we're not at the end of the story yet. And so in the meantime, our call is to love one another in it. So how do we do that? Well, first, we just recognize where the grieving person is. Uh, there's some very common physical side effects to grief, and when you recognize them, it can give you an opportunity to offer grace. Mark and Linda Triplett from our video both have written books about their grief, and in his book, Mark talks about grief being like living on a battlefield of sorrow with his physical body manifesting outward signs of the inward warfare. Physical symptoms of grief are often confusion, forgetfulness, loss of appetite, sleeplessness, fatigue. And those people who are grieving often say they feel like they're losing their minds. And believe it or not, that's normal. And so is getting angry at normal things for being normal when nothing else is. So a grace that you can offer is simply to recognize and acknowledge that you understand there's a real reason why it's hard to try to be normal when life isn't. It's a grace that you can give. 
And you can encourage them also to give that grace to themselves when they experience those things. One member recently shared that without warning one day in Target, he was suddenly overwhelmed with the something's not right feeling, the onset of a panic attack. And he had the amazing self-awareness to realize that the something not right was the fact that he was living in a world without his dad. And he had to go to his car until the physical symptoms subsided. Another member got hit by grief unexpectedly by walking into a store where she used to buy her mother's Christmas presents. She had to turn right around and walk right back out. Because in grief, life is full of landmines, and you don't know what's going to trigger them. There's no way to defuse them. You just have to let them go off and be kind to yourself as you deal with the fallout. Because grieving happens in layers as the reality of the loss sinks in again and again. Linda said in her book, the death of a loved one is an open wound, and grief is the process of dealing with that wound. And at first you can't even look at it, and then you just look in quick flashes, and then you dare to see a little more, and then after a while you're touching it just to feel the pain, and eventually it becomes a scar that continues to give pain unexpectedly. Where there's been love, there will be grief, and life can never be the same as it was but it does eventually find a new normal. So how can we help in the meantime? Well, as you heard in the video, first offer to be with them. Just be with them when they need company or give them space when they don't without being offended. And second, remember the one that they lost with them. Don't be afraid to say the name of the one they've lost. You are not going to cause them grief. They're already there. <laughs> You're only letting them know that they're not alone in missing and remembering their loved one. So do say their name. Do share your memories. But be sensitive about when you start those conversations, that they have the space to engage that with you. For example, don't bring this up as they're starting a meeting at work. <laughs> and number three, if God brings to mind something that you can do to be a blessing, just offer it. Bring coffee or food. Offer to wash dishes or go on a grocery run. Maybe they won't need it, but at the very least, they'll know that you're thinking of them, and that goes a long way. Send a text. Leave a voicemail. Those little touches really matter. And then finally, do more listening than talking. Do not try to answer the question why. <laughs> that always does more harm than good. Because the truth is, we're just humans, and why is way above our pay grade. <laughs> Hope is never found in any answer to why in grief. Our hope is only found in the who and the what of the promise that he made to us. In John 11, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And Martha answered, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into the world. Martha couldn't answer Jesus' question, do you believe this? She had no idea what he was talking about. So she simply answered, this is all I know. Lord, I believe you. I believe in who you are. That's all I can say right now. And Jesus answered that faith with a foretaste of the answer that he has for all of us who trust in his name. As Linda says in her book, written to her son Adam, 
When things get too hard, I think this is not the end of the story. This is all temporary. When I see you the first time in heaven, it will be forever. And I'll never have to say goodbye to you again. Because of Jesus' love and because of his saving work for us, we can trust his promise, the promise that only comes in who he is, that this pain will not be the end of the story. But we're not there yet. So as we walk this journey together, love one another, because love will point to hurting to the God who loved us enough to meet us even in the cross. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love for us that meets us in our most broken places, that you would walk the road to suffering, that you would walk the road to the cross, that you would enter into death, that you would be raised to new life for us so that we can know even in death we are not alone and that there is hope for a new life with you now and forever. But Lord, we thank you too that you understand our suffering and you invite us to mourn. You invite us to mourn with you. Um, even as we hope that we weep, Lord Jesus, as you wept, um, knowing that as we do so, that we do that in complete faithfulness, trusting your love. So Lord, meet us in our tears, meet us in our hope, and help us, Lord, to be your hands and feet to one another as we walk in times of grief, in times of love, and in times of hope together, trusting in what you have done for us, Jesus, and your promise that holds us in every season of life until the new one begins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.